Hello and welcome to NTD News Today. Kevin Hogan here. Let's take a look at our top stories. The battle for Ukraine's capital city is underway. Russia claims that it has cut Kiev off from the west, but Ukraine says it's not giving up. Lawmakers are looking to send big help to Ukraine amid the crisis. An aid package is gaining bipartisan support. This as Ukraine calls for swift sanctions against Russia. Ukraine continues to suffer from cyber attacks while Russia invades. Experts say the attacks are meant to create chaos and prevent the government and the military from communicating. And protesters are gathering across the globe to voice their opposition to the Russian attack. So far, rallies have popped up in cities like Toronto, Paris and Budapest. A full-scale attack on Ukraine continues as blasts ring out over the country's major cities. Ukraine's president reported nearly 140 Ukrainians were killed on the first day of Russia's invasion. NTD's Jessica Beatty reports. Ukraine under siege Friday. Russia unleashing war with attacks and airstrikes. It's part of Russia's three-pronged invasion targeting the capital city, Kiev, the second largest city, Kharkov, and bringing in troops from Crimea. Rocket attacks destroyed this residential building near Kiev overnight. Ukrainian forces are fighting back, downing enemy aircraft. But Russia has gained ground. Russia's military Friday claimed it's blocked Kiev from the west and now controls a strategic cargo airport. Some Ukrainian war veterans are re-enlisting to help Ukraine. 40-year-old Dmitro Dovjenko fought in the war in Donbass and now lives in Poland. He crossed back into Ukraine early Friday morning to fight for his homeland. He says his friends are doing the same. Others are either in Ukraine or they are on their way to Ukraine. Lots of cars are going back. I hope that I will go back and I hope Russia will be destroyed. That's all. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky Thursday warned of a new Iron Curtain falling. What we have heard today are not just missile blast, fighting, and the rumbling of aircraft. This is the sound of a new Iron Curtain, which has come down and is closing on Russia off from the civilized world. Fox News reported on Friday, Zelensky said he was not afraid to engage in talks with Russia. Russia responded, saying Russian President Vladimir Putin is prepared to negotiate with Ukrainian officials. On Thursday, the United States imposed sanctions on Russia, blocking the assets of four large Russian banks and members of the elite. These impacts over time will translate into higher inflation, higher interest rates, lower purchasing power, lower investment, lower productive capacity, lower growth, and lower living standards in Russia. Meanwhile, U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken told ABC News Thursday he's convinced Putin will try to overthrow Ukraine's government but he doesn't think Putin will attack a NATO member. Jessica Beatty, NTD News. Ukraine said on Friday it had recorded increased radiation levels from the defunct Chernobyl nuclear power plant one day after the site was captured by Russian forces. The former power plant was captured by Russian forces on Thursday. Experts at Ukraine's state nuclear agency did not provide exact radiation levels They did say, however, that the change in levels was due to the movement of heavy military equipment in the area, lifting radioactive dust into the air. The European Bank for Reconstruction and Development said that the critical infrastructure of the plant has not been damaged and essential maintenance work has been ongoing. 
Ukrainians trapped in Kiev were taking shelter Friday, one day after Putin launched the attack that shocked the world. Others managed to flee, most of them women and children, while men stayed behind to guard their country. As airstrike sirens sounded over the Ukrainian capital, residents are left behind, including children huddled in a shelter. We have been sleeping, but we woke up to an explosion. At 4.20 a.m. near our house, an aerial rocket was shot down. Others are trapped in the subway, waiting in desperation. We don't want to be a part of Russia or any other country. It's really getting very emotional. And I cannot believe it's happening, really. Russian troops entered areas outside Kiev on Friday. Shattered residential buildings on the city's outskirts bore witness to the overnight attacks. Thousands of Ukrainian refugees have poured into the neighboring countries, including Poland, Romania, Hungary, and Slovakia. It was mostly women and children, after Ukraine restricted passage for men between the ages of 18 and 60. Many of the refugees have to wait for hours at the border crossings. I have a lot of my relatives in uh, Kyiv who are sitting in the bomb shelters right now because uh, there is a bombing everywhere and uh, people are afraid and uh, scared. So we want to leave uh, Ukraine uh, right now, but uh, I think that there is no possibility for men to leave. At this Hungarian border crossing, groups of Ukrainians have arrived, dragging their luggage behind. We are coming for the safety. That's the sure thing. We will be here two or three days and we will see what happens. While at the Medica border crossing in Poland, Ukrainians who fled the war were greeted with food and hot drinks. During the upcoming weekend, EU interior ministers will discuss the situation in Ukraine and issues related to a possible refugee crisis following Russia's invasion of the country. The cargo ship Namura Queen was hit by a rocket off the coast of Ukraine in the Black Sea, causing a fire on board. A Ukrainian shipping agent says the ship was flying the Panama flag as it headed to a Ukrainian port to load grain. Stark Shipping says there was a fire on board and that a tugboat moved to the rescue. They say the situation is under control. U.S. lawmakers may approve hundreds of millions of dollars in additional military and humanitarian aid for Ukraine. Lawmakers say this kind of assistance is likely needed and it's gaining bipartisan support. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi said they plan to send additional humanitarian assistance and defense weapons to Ukraine as soon as next week. The funding is $600 million. That's on top of $650 million the Biden administration sent Ukraine over the last year. Representative Barbara Lee, who oversees foreign aid, said Ukraine would need a billion dollars in humanitarian aid over the next 12 months. It's not clear if the funding will be approved through a standalone bill or as part of a measure to keep the government open as funding is set to run out in mid-March. The effort has bipartisan support and President Biden said the U.S. will provide humanitarian relief to ease their suffering following Russia's attack late Wednesday. Top lawmakers from both parties are seeking to punish Moscow severely. Senator Bob Menendez said Russian leaders should be kicked out of the international community. In a statement, he wrote, I am committed to ensuring that the United States upholds our responsibility to exact maximum costs on Putin, the Russian economy, and those who enabled and facilitated this trampling of Ukraine's sovereignty. Pelosi said she spoke with her Ukrainian counterpart on Thursday. She said they're urging the United States to keep putting more intense and swift sanctions on Russia. This is a big um, undertaking that we're going to try without 
engaging in a third world war, how we can make sure that the devastation that has to happen to the Russian economy happens by the use of sanctions through democracy. And the chair of the Senate Intelligence Committee raises concerns about Russian President Vladimir Putin. That's in part due to Putin's isolation during the pandemic. So we're con concerned that this kind of isolated individual who's kind of become a megalomaniac in terms of his notion of himself being the only historic figure that can rebuild old Russia or recreate the notion of the Soviet sphere, um, it's a dangerous character. This, while Representative Adam Schiff says Congress will meet its obligation to its allies, that's because he expects Congress to impose sanctions even though Biden can do so on his own. Schiff says he does support cutting Russia out of SWIFT, which is the Society for Worldwide Interbank Financial Telecommunication. The Federal Aviation Administration says it's restricting U.S. airlines and pilots from flying over Ukraine and nearby Belarus. The agency already restricted flights over eastern Ukraine. Now, the entire country's airspace is restricted, along with Western Russia. The agency clarified that the restrictions don't apply to military operations. An agency of the European Union issued a similar notice, but with an even larger buffer. That agency said it wants to account for missile launches to and from Ukraine. The notices come after the Russian Ministry of Defense told Ukraine there was a high risk to flight safety because of the war. It also comes after Ukrainian authorities restricted flights. The CEO of the freight company Flexport says the notices will lead to delays and potential cancellations as airlines grapple with this new reality of airspace. Be prepared for prices at the pump to reach $4 per gallon nationwide. Oil futures are now more than $100 per barrel, a high not reached since 2014. The spike comes largely from the Russian invasion of Ukraine and the consequences that have come since it started. Although commuters will have to pay more to fill up their vehicles, the expected higher gas prices won't likely hurt the country's overall economic growth. The U.S. gross domestic product just had its biggest rise in decades and should handle the situation well. The last four times oil rose to $100 a barrel, the U.S. avoided falling into a recession. During Russia's military invasion, Ukraine also has to deal with cyber attacks targeting their government websites. Researchers call cyberspace the fourth battleground. They say the malware attack had apparently been planned for months. Here are the details. A distributed denial-of-service attack began last week and temporarily knocked Ukrainian government websites offline on Wednesday. There are still sporadic Internet outages across Ukraine. Experts say the cyber attacks included data-wiping malware that infected hundreds of computers. Oftentimes there'll be an aerial bombardment before ground troops go in and think of cyber as being one of the things that can occur before that aerial bombardment. Uh, in order to try to deny, uh, degrade, and disrupt some of the systems that the, the people of Ukraine, the government of Ukraine, are, are reliant on. The victims in Ukraine included government agencies and a financial institution. By Thursday, major government websites, including those of the Defense Ministry and the Interior Ministry, were up and running again. That was malware used to delete data, and that was really targeted at um, financials, the financial sector was targeted at government sites and military sites, aviation and, and IT. And um, that particular malware 
was designed to hit a number of different aspects in the operating system to just delete uh, data and, and shut things down. The U.S. and allies quickly blamed Russia for the attacks. Russia denies the accusations. Lauren Zabrick, executive director of the Cyber Project at Harvard Kennedy School, says these attacks have two goals. First, so that confusion create chaos, create panic among the population, you know, especially where Ukrainian citizens can't access information, can't access their own services or assets or things like that. Um, and then, of course, between government and military, it's meant to, um, again, sort of create that chaos, but also prevent the government and the military from communicating with each other. Cybersecurity firm ESET and network management firm Kentix say it looks like the cyber attacks had been planned over the past couple of months. The international cyber hacking group known as Anonymous appears to have declared war on the Russian government. The group's Twitter account posted messages saying members are targeting the Russian government with their hacking efforts. Russian government-funded media outlet RT.com says it was targeted in a denial-of-service cyber attack. And some Russian government websites had intermittent service Thursday. Denial-of-service attacks overwhelm a website with traffic to make it inoperable. Fox News reported that websites for the Kremlin and Russia's lower house of parliament were also only intermittently available. That's a sign they could have also faced denial-of-service attacks. The Twitter account for Anonymous also posted a message saying, while people around the globe smash your internet providers to bits, understand that it's entirely directed at the actions of the Russian government and Putin. In cities from New York to Florida, Americans and Ukrainians took to the streets and public squares to denounce the invasion of Ukraine. They pleaded for peace while demanding stricter sanctions against Russia. In New York City, a large crowd gathered in Times Square to denounce Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Protesters marched to the permanent mission of the Russian Federation to the United Nations, waving a banner with the blue and yellow colors of the Ukrainian flag. Many of them are native Ukrainians, while others are not. I'm here to show my support for, for Ukraine, for the people of Ukraine. Um, I feel that us, as the world, we need to react and and it's really important to show that they are not alone in this. Today, I think everybody's Ukrainian. Doesn't matter where you're born and doesn't matter where you live. Stand with Ukraine! Stand with Ukraine! And in the nation's capital, hundreds rallied outside the White House, holding Ukrainian flags and signs that read, Stop Putin's war and hands off Ukraine. In Michigan, a pro-Ukrainian rally was held outside a church in suburban Detroit. It's a difficult time for everybody especially for those of us who have family and friends that are in the regions that are affected, which is unfortunately all of Ukraine. Tens of thousands in the Detroit area are of Ukrainian ancestry. Democratic lawmaker Andy Levin says he's counting on Michigan to welcome those displaced by the violence. Are we ready to welcome any Ukrainians who flee violence in their homeland here to take care of them right here in Warren in southeast Michigan? Yes, we are. We have to do open our arms. More residents showed up in front of a federal government building in Los Angeles. Passing motorists honked their horns in support. It's honestly really distressful and devastating what's going on. So it's really difficult uh, to continue my normal life even though I'm here. Um, my heart is with Ukraine and all my family is there. 
it's a Putin basically Hitler of 21st century. If you just block two banks, sanction on two banks, and sanctions on two uh, guys in Russian politics, that's all you can do, then I think that's wrong with this world. Emotions are high in Seattle as well. Ukrainians sang their national anthem and called for stricter sanctions on Russia. Many of them have parents still holed up in their homeland. My brothers, I have two older brothers, and they say, and my dad, they say they will just go and fight. Yeah, fortunately. And nobody knows what's the safest place. So right now, everybody is trying to keep in touch, be informative. Similar rallies occurred in other cities across the nation, from along Hallandale Beach in Florida to North Carolina outside the state capitol building in Raleigh, with their comments on the invasion widely heard. It's very troubling and sad. I was predicting it wouldn't happen because I don't see where it, what it benefits Putin. In Chicago, Representative Mike Quigley attended a gathering outside a Ukrainian Catholic church. The world is watching. They're watching our resolve and how we respond to this because there are other authoritarian regimes with eyes on peaceful, loving democracies. While commenting on the situation in Ukraine, he also emphasized the importance of imposing crippling sanctions against Russia. Protesters have gathered around the world to voice their opposition to the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Actor Javier Bardem attended a protest in Madrid, and actor Sean Penn is now inside Ukraine filming a documentary on the attack. NTD's Andrew Thomas reports. Protesters gathered in Toronto, chanting slogans and waving Ukrainian flags on Thursday. Russia invades our territory. There are lots of uh, Russian troops in uh, my uh, country. So it's so difficult to be far from home and I can't uh, defend my uh, parents, uh, friends, everyone who I love. My family is there in Ukraine, all my friends are there in Ukraine, and I'm just, I have no words really. I don't want, I don't want war, I don't want this war, no one wants. Crowds also gathered in Sydney's streets on Friday. Of course, we're worried about our close friends, neighbors and family, because there's a tragedy what's happening over there. Of course, we're worried. Demonstrators held placards, waved Ukrainian flags, and chanted in support of Ukraine despite wet and rainy conditions. My family has food, has water. They're ready to go to the basement to hide. They have a basement in their home, so that's lucky for them. Still, more demonstrations were held in Paris. Of course, I'm worried because I have relatives, friends over there. And so we don't know how it's going to happen. In addition, there are bombings. There are bombings of houses, of residential neighborhoods. Fortunately, my relatives are safe so far, but we never know what's going to happen tomorrow. Many expressed fear for the safety of their countrymen and voiced anger toward Moscow. It's mostly that you worry about your family, for their health, for the children, the little ones, and those who are most vulnerable. But it's also huge anger against Russia and the Russians who support Russian President Putin's regime. Thousands more took part in protests in the capital in Budapest, joining the growing international wave of outrage.
Those who are untrustworthy write themselves out of the international political order. Putin wrote himself out of it with his move this morning. For many in Hungary, the invasion of Ukraine is a frightening reminder of their own past with Russia, then the Soviet Union. We remember the past. We remember 1956, Soviet vision of Hungary crushing its uprising. And we will not forget that what has become of the man, Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Obar, who 30 years ago said, Russians go home. Celebrities are stating their peace, too. Actor Javier Bardem voiced his opposition to the war from Madrid, while Sean Penn is in Ukraine filming a documentary about the attack. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Global stocks calmed today after a tough Thursday. Russia's invasion of Ukraine sent oil prices to their highest in years and drove big sell-offs in stock markets. But a late Thursday rally on Wall Street was followed Friday by a degree of recovery in Europe and Asia. The key pan-European stocks 600 bounced back from nine-month lows. It rose 1.7% in early trade, driven largely by the utilities and real estate sectors. In Russia, stock markets soared around 20% after the previous day's huge sell-off. The Russian ruble slightly recovered after it hit all-time lows. Europe's partial recovery followed similar moves in Asia. MSCI's broadest index of Asia-Pacific shares outside Japan gained about 0.8%. Japan's Nikkei rose close to 2%. But some analysts worry any rallies could be brief due to concerns about the impact of Western sanctions on Russia's ability to export crude oil and fuel. Oil prices again jumped on Friday by nearly 3% to almost $102 a barrel. Markets also fear inflation could heat up further in the eurozone due to its reliance on Russian gas supplies. Players from Ukraine's national basketball team say they are concerned about family and friends back home. The Russian invasion caught the team by surprise as they were in Spain for a game. Everybody in shock. It's not normal that it's happened now. Oh man, I feel terrible. It's time to get home. Bad peace is always better than like good war, whatever. Good war never could be good, you know. But like, you have to talk. You have to talk. You have to make an agreement to stop war. I think that every of us and every player in the team have strong hearts in the in the middle of our chest, in the inside of uh, us. We have many pain about this situation, about this war. The team was in Cordoba, Spain for a game against the Spanish national team, a qualifying match for the FIBA World Cup. The Spanish team defeated the Ukrainians, but war was on the minds of players and fans on both sides. A moment of silence was observed both before and after the game. Players shed tears and Spain was a cordial host. Spain's match in Kiev was scheduled for Sunday, February 27th, but it was postponed until summer. President Biden today announced his nomination to the Supreme Court, and the pick is U.S. Circuit Judge Ketanji Brown-Jackson. If confirmed, she will fill the seat that Justice Stephen Breyer will soon vacate. Jackson was once Breyer's clerk. President Biden appointed her to the current position in June 2021. Prior to that position, she served on the U.S. District Court in Washington. 
In a statement, Biden called Jackson one of the brightest legal minds in our country. The president will introduce Jackson in a later speech after he meets with NATO leaders in Washington. If confirmed, Jackson will become the first black woman to serve on the U.S. Supreme Court. She would also be the sixth woman in the position and Biden's first nominee. But no Republicans have yet said they will vote for Jackson, while Democrats are pressing for prompt action on her confirmation. Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer said a Senate Judiciary Committee hearing will happen in the coming weeks. He will then ask the Senate to confirm Jackson as soon as the panel finishes its work. A nonviolent protester that visited the Capitol on January 6 last year is expected to be charged with a felony. The defendant is being represented by Alan Dershowitz, who is an attorney and Harvard Law Professor Emeritus. Dershowitz raises the concern that prosecutors are charging many people there who may have broken the law with the same obstruction of Congress charge, even if they were nonviolent or may have just been trespassing. Dershowitz gives us the details of the case. He was a third-year law student, did very well in law school. He, unlike me, uh, thought the election uh, was stolen. I disagree with him. I'm a liberal Democrat, voted for uh, Joe Biden. He, he is a Trump supporter. And he went to the Capitol to protest. And he did what the president said he should do. He, he protested peacefully and patriotically. He didn't tend to go into the Capitol, but he saw doors open, people welcome, and people walked in. And he walked in. He went to the gallery where people are allowed to sit stayed there just for a short period of time, didn't hurt anybody, didn't break anything. The worst thing he did was trespassing. And uh, the Supreme Court justices who have said that trespassing uh, has to give way to the freedom of expression, freedom to petition government for redress of grievances. So we're going to fight this very hard. He wasn't allowed to be there at that time. What does the defense have to prove in order for him to be vindicated? Well, it depends on what he is ultimately charged with. If he were charged with trespassing, that would be a very different issue. Uh, then he would be in a kind of civil disobedience, like lunch sitting. But if they charge him as they did, and if they try to prove that he obstructed Congress, which is a felony, they can't do it because he didn't try to obstruct Congress. He tried to simply get the vice president and Congress to do what he believed they were required to do under the Constitution. He may have been right. He may have been wrong. That's not the issue. The issue is, did he try unlawfully to obstruct Congress? And there's no evidence. So, Alan, while I got you on the line, you urged a federal judge to reinstate former President Trump on these major social media platforms. What would happen if the judge does not decide to do so in terms of the midterm elections? It could have an impact on the midterm elections. Today, social media is the way in which people uh, communicate. And social media ought not to be taken down because they don't agree with what they say. That's what the marketplace of ideas is all about. If you don't agree, put somebody up who has a different point of view. Let's debate. Let's discuss. But don't cancel people, certainly not candidates, uh, in the, in the run-up to an election. That not only deprives the speaker, but the listener, the viewer, of being able to hear a point of view that they would like to hear. The man's January 6th case is currently in pretrial right now. Dershowitz says they would consider a plea deal for a lesser charge, but certainly not for a felony charge because he says that would be untrue. 
And as for Trump on social media, his new app, Truth Social, has launched without being able to accommodate all of the users. Some even reported being on the wait list behind 400,000 others who want to use the platform. The Wall Street Journal reports that the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission is investigating Tesla chief executive Elon Musk and his brother Kimball Musk. This to see whether their recent stock sales violated insider trading rules. The report says the investigation began last year after Kimball sold shares of the electric car maker valued at $108 million. The sale was just one day before Musk polled Twitter users asking whether he should offload 10% of his stake in Tesla. The SEC issued a subpoena on November 16th, 10 days after Musk's poll, seeking information related to some financial data. The potential probe would escalate Musk's battle with regulators as they scrutinize his social media posts. Tesla's treatment of workers, including accusations of discrimination, are also being examined. Los Angeles County will begin allowing people to remove their masks while indoors as the Omicron winter surge eases, but only for the vaccinated. California's most populous county says it will relax its public health order today. This will allow unmasking at restaurants, bars, and other businesses for people who show proof of vaccination. Unvaccinated customers must continue to wear masks indoors. The move comes as the county's COVID-19 infections and hospitalizations plummet. The county lagged behind the state as a whole, which lifted its indoor mask mandate for vaccinated people last week. Most of California's 58 counties quickly followed suit. However, Santa Clara County still requires universal indoor masking. In a viral video, a California teacher is seen bear-hugging and forcibly dragging a student out of the class. The student's mother said her son respectfully refused to wear a mask and asked to stay and learn without a mask on. Here are the details. A teacher in San Bernardino County's Apple Valley Unified School District is caught on video forcibly dragging a student out of class on Wednesday morning for not wearing a mask. The teacher can be seen lugging the boy, Riley, who is taller than him. Riley's mom said this happened in his Spanish class. The teacher was speaking to him in Spanish, told him to put it on. Um, he, Riley said, no, thank you. I want to stay in class and do my work without a mask. And at that time, the teacher uh, said in Spanish to get out as he was going towards Riley. Um, it sounds like he tried to maybe two different times, like pick up his chair he was sitting in. So my son had stood up, sat back down. He was just trying to figure out kind of what was going on. Roper said on the second attempt, the teacher bear hugged him and removed him from class by force. She said Riley gets extremely embarrassed and his face turns reddish. And he was taken outside because of his mask. And then I guess once he was taken outside, the rest of uh, the class members, I think, all took their masks off, most of them. Like other parents and students in other school districts across the state, they have been protesting for mask choice for the past couple weeks. I'm not anti-mask by all means. I'm just pro-mask choice. I'm really fighting for my kids. It's sad to see all this going on with professional athletes and political leaders able to go amongst their normal life. And our kids have these masks on their face. It's um, getting in the way of learning. My five-year-old gets bloody noses every day. A spokesperson for the Apple Valley Unified School District said they are aware of the video circulating on social media. 
They are investigating the incident and appropriate outside agencies have been notified. All investigations are confidential and appropriate actions will be taken based on California law. Roper said she was told Riley will not have to come in contact with that teacher anymore. The California Globe reported that 24 school districts in 10 California counties are dropping the mask mandate. Eileen Ang, NTD News, California. More than two months after she gave birth to her son, a 20-year-old New Hampshire woman who was critically ill with COVID-19 has recovered. She is now able to see him. In November, Mackenzie Keller was rushed to the hospital, put on a ventilator, and delivered a healthy baby via cesarean section. But Keller needed urgent care. She was hooked up to a specialized blood oxygenation treatment. It pumped blood out of her body into a machine that removes carbon dioxide and then pumped it back into her body. Mackenzie has been in the ICU for a very, very long time, and she got to see her son for the very first time today. He was big. When we get one like this, where someone has made such an amazing recovery and gets to meet their child for the first time, it's, uh, it's a real special one for us, and one that really makes it easier to come into work the next day. Don't ever give up hope. <laughs> Never give up hope. No matter what, it, miracles happen every single day, and she's ours. Keller was on that treatment for 47 days. Her medical team said she had some setbacks, and they weren't sure if she'd recover. But she turned a corner and rebounded. Coming up, New York's subway system is testing platform doors to make waiting for a train safer. The city taking action to prevent people from being pushed onto the tracks. Maine is looking to make moving to the state and buying a home more attractive. The state could forgive thousands of dollars in student loan debt for doing so. Find out more after this short break. The New York City subway can be a dangerous place for many reasons. One of those reasons is potentially being pushed onto the subway tracks. But in some stations, that won't be a possibility anymore in the future. NTD's Arian Pastar has more from Manhattan's Underground. Every few minutes, a train rolls into this station. And as you can see, there's nothing separating me from the tracks. Sometimes people do get pushed onto the tracks. Now barriers will be installed and tested via pilot program. And we're recommending a pilot to install platform screen doors at three stations. These have been used in newer systems around the world, and we've studied them extensively at the MTA. Cities across the globe, especially in Asia, have been using platform doors for their subway stations for some time. Here in the U.S., New York City would be the first underground subway to use them. Earlier this year, a woman died after being pushed onto the tracks. Another problem is people purposely crossing the rails, which can lead to injuries and death. 1,267 reported incidents of track intrusion last year. The vast majority are voluntary intrusions. But some members of the public think platform doors aren't the solution. Spending $100 million on three platform doors uh, in three stations uh, guys, that's going to be a waste of money. If uh, EDP wants to push someone down the stairs, they're going to push someone down the stairs. They're going to find a way to attack someone. 
For now, it doesn't look like New York will install these doors on a large scale. There are three main issues. Narrow platforms in our system that can't accommodate barriers while retaining ADA accessibility, and also a number, a, a quite a large number of elevated platforms that can't support the added weight of these systems. In addition to those problems, we have misaligned door configurations. There are alternatives to platform doors, such as nets and fences, for example. But according to the MTA, those alternatives are less safe for passengers than platform doors. Arian Pastar, NTD News, New York. An update on the trucker convoy that's on its way across the country to protest pandemic restrictions. The People's Convoy made its first stop last night at a pizza place in western Arizona. The truckers, whose final destination is Washington, D.C., were able to fill their stomachs with free pizza and fill their tanks with free fuel. NTD's Jason Perry has the story. I'm here right outside of Great American Pizza and Subs. This is the first stop for the People's Convoy headed to D.C. We're here in western Arizona in a city called Golden Valley. And last night, there were at least about 50 trucks and about 50 personal vehicles all stopped here and got free pizza. We're going to talk to the owners to see why they did such a thing. Well, we, we love freedom, number one, okay? And they're, they're traveling the roads to express, look, we want to be free. And so we're all about freedom, you know, in this country. And so when they called and said, how many people can you feed? We didn't really know who it was yet, but they, we told them we can feed a lot of people pretty fast. You know, it's pizza. And so they said, well, well there might be 500 of us. I said, that's all right. And so then they told us who they were, and we said, well, yeah, come on here. You know, we got plenty of room to park. Uh, we got facilities. I know everybody in town. We hurried up and got bathrooms here, and we got extra food and everything for them. And uh, it's awesome. It's awesome that they picked us to, that, that we could host them, you know. The owners cooked over 600 pizzas. They made so much money in tips that it paid for all of the food. Then they used the rest of the tips to buy gas for everyone, which was brought in on fuel trucks. The truckers have been getting a lot of support in each community where they stop. And as you can see here, all of these donations were donated from the people of Kingman, Arizona. And after the truckers got all of what they needed, there's still this much left. So they're asking others to grab a bag because there's going to be too much to carry. Then they had a meeting right outside of the pizza place. One of the organizers said the convoy had already doubled in size from when they started. So just remember, we want to try to keep any any bad people from either side of the aisle out of this mix the best that we can. This is about freedom and everybody has a right to be here as long as you remember that what this is truly about. We spoke with some people to find out why they are supporting the convoy to D.C. During the lockdowns, we lost so many of our freedoms, our constitutional rights, and a lot of the governors became dictators and thought they got to tell us what's up and what to do and take away our choices. They're not our boss, they're civil servants. That means they're voted in to do the will of the people. We're out here to fight for freedom in our country. We're losing our freedom. We're losing all of it. I'm so happy that the truckers are doing this, and I'm so proud of Canada, you know, because they they started this, and we're doing this for Canada, we're doing this for the United States, we're doing it for all people who want to be free. It's about time that, like, the peoples just say no. I mean, there's a sacred word that everyone can use, is no. Use it. Invoke your freedoms, don't ask for exemptions. Well, I was a tow truck driver for a long time, and I've been a driver most of my life for what I do for work. 
and I drive around the country playing music. So, um, yeah, I know these people. Come out, support this thing, grow it up, be standing with the people. Was, that's who created this, uh, this country. This lady here is also a trucker, but she could not make the trip to D.C., so she came to show her support in person. This is really uniting us because we're talking the same language right now. We want freedom, and most of our truckers are veterans, so they understand freedom, and they're, they handed it down to us, and uh, we learned from them, so it's just a great movement. Great American Subs is just one of the many places the People's Convoy will stop at on their road to D.C., which some are calling the road to freedom. The next stop is Lepton, Arizona. Jason Perry, NTD News, Arizona. Want to get rid of some student loan debt? You might consider moving to Maine and buying a house. Lawmakers there are considering a bill that would forgive up to $40,000 in student loan debt for first-time homebuyers. It's a bid to get young people to come back to the state, finance a home, pay down student loans, and stimulate the state economy. Here's how it works. If a person qualifies, the state would pay off the student debt over five years. If lawmakers pass the bill, the state would allocate $10 million to fund the program. On average, Maine graduates have about $33,000 in student loan debt. It's one of the highest averages in the country. Partying hard or hardly partying? Miami Beach officials are hoping it's somewhere in the middle this spring break. Miami Beach City commissioners voted this week to prohibit the sale and consumption of alcohol after 2 a.m. That means South Beach bars will shut down the taps three hours early from March 7th through the 21st. City officials are looking at a couple things. One, they're hoping the move cuts down on tourists' heavy drinking. And two, they say it'll free up police during their big tourism boom. The decision comes on the heels of a sloppy spring break last year when the area was inundated with tourists. The city had to impose a nighttime curfew and a major highway was shut down because people started getting rowdy and there were clashes with police. Still to come, after close to 10 years of restoration in Italy, one of the world's largest musical instruments is back home in California. Find out more of those details in just a minute. It was a close call for this baby in La Plata, Argentina, who fell out of a moving car on a busy road early this week. Dramatic video captured the moment the child fell out of the car. Other vehicles driving nearby suddenly swerved and were involved in a collision. The child was then picked up by someone at the scene and attended to by medics. The child is reported to be in good health. Local authorities are investigating the circumstances of the incident. A famous organ is back home after nearly 10 years of repairs. The instrument is one of the largest in the world, and it has finally returned to a cathedral in Orange County, California. The Hazel Wright organ was disassembled piece by piece in 2013 and removed from Christ Cathedral in Southern California's Orange County. From there, it was shipped to Italy for repair. At the time, the fifth largest pipe organ in the world was suffering from a bug infestation. And still worse, its pipes were melted and trumpets corroded. This organ went under renovations for about five to ten years. Most of it was shipped all the way back to Italy, which is really cool. So the original Italians who built the thing actually went through and restored each pipe. 
Nearly a decade and $3 million later, Hazel was back in the fully remodeled sanctuary. What every organist dreams of is an instrument that's as big and exciting as this, but also as beautiful and intimate as this instrument can get. So in, in terms of serving the Catholic liturgy, that means you can accompany one single singer or lead the whole congregation in some uh, wonderful hymn. Its rehabilitation has been an arduous process. After extensive work at the factory in Italy, the pieces were shipped back to Orange County. You really can get the full surround sound effect in this, uh, which is a really, really unique to this space. You get surround sound organ here. Piero Ruffati originally built Hazel, and in late 2019, returned for the reinstallation. In its current iteration, the organ has some 17,000 pipes and 293 ranks. It's the largest pipe organ in a Roman Catholic cathedral in the Western Hemisphere. Andrew Thomas, NTD News. Would you like to live your entire life over again in a span of just a few moments? It may happen as people pass away. Scientists in Estonia are sharing rare evidence that shows people may recall key moments of their life while dying. The finding happened by chance. Doctors were monitoring the brainwaves of an 87-year-old with epilepsy to better treat them. But the person died of a sudden cardiac event as the brain data was being recorded. For 30 seconds, both before and after their heart stopped, brainwaves typically associated with dreaming and memory recall were recorded. It's impossible to know exactly what was really happening, and it's only one case in a patient who suffered from seizures. But the phenomenon was also present in a later study of rats. Researchers believe it might show people experience vivid thoughts, or what they call life recall, during the dying process. The findings were published in the Frontiers Journal. A group of modern-day performers inspired by China's 5,000-year-old civilization is performing all over the world to revive its culture. Audiences in the States say this is the best ambassador for the Chinese people, their culture, and their history. And I have to tell you, this is the best show that I've seen. I applaud all of you for bringing your story. I applaud all of you for the dancing and the arts that this brings and the culture that we experience. And I couldn't be more prouder to be here tonight with all of you. From legend to myth, from folk dance to stories inspired by modern day China. According to its website, Shen Yun travels around the world with new productions each year. I can't imagine anyone not benefiting from something like this. It's tremendous. Stunning. I wish I could get up there with my camera and take a picture of all the dancers with the colors and everything going around. I loved it. I mean, it was just visually spectacular. And its mission is to revive traditional Chinese culture through the arts, starting with its connection to the divine. You can feel it and it hits your heart. I think this is something you need to do. You need to bring back the culture. You need to show people what China is really about and uh, bring back the peace and everything of that nature that this brings. And this is inspiring and, and I feel really horrible you cannot show this in China, but I can guarantee you we as Americans, we welcome, um, we welcome it and we are encouraged by your story. A show like this could not be um, a better ambassador globally for the people and the culture and the history of China. This is not a performance that you would watch on television or in a movie. It's something that adds so much more when you see it live to really feel the emotions of the different scenes. I'm excited to come back next year to see it. Shen Yun will be presenting over a dozen performances in five cities this weekend. 
NTD News, New York. Thanks for watching. At NTD, we're honored to be your source for the news. Catch us again tonight at 6.30 Eastern. In New York City, I'm Kevin Hogan.